Are we praying and asking, why am I sharing if he, like, already knows everything? Like, what is God doing when I pray? Like, what is happening when we pray? And so, man, today, that's what we're going to talk about, prayer. And we're going to talk about, you know, one of the specific verses in the Lord's Prayer. And, man, what prayer does, like, it, it, it's, it begins to just change us and, and, and refine us. Like, prayer, like, the very act of it, it changes us. Right, that the Bible tells us that there's like this inner war going in within us, right? Like there's just like a part of us that like really wants to obey God, like it really wants to do what God wants. And we like feel that sometimes, like God, I want to obey you, I want to do the things that I'm reading, I want to do the things that I ought to do. But then there's like another part of us that doesn't want that, right? That like just kind of like wants to do what we want, that like willingly doesn't want to obey and wants to follow and wants to choose those things we know that we ought to choose, and there's this, like, tension in that, you know? I don't know if you, do you guys ever feel that tension inside of you? There's, like, two parts of you that just, like, literally want, like, opposite things in your life. And sometimes I, that feels so hard. I don't know if you ever feel the weight of that. Like, it feels so hard. Like, there's just two competing things happening inside of you. That, that there's, there's, there's a part of you is, like, the things that you want to do it feels like impossible to do those. Like, I know this is right, and like I, like, I want to, but it feels like I can't, right? And then there's, like, another part of us that the things that we don't want to do and we want to avoid genuinely, it feels like we, like, can't avoid those. And if you ever, like, feel, if any of that, like, resonates with you, like, be encouraged that one of the godliest people to ever walk the earth, like, almost verbatim said those things, right? That those are Paul's words. He says that the things that I want to do, he says, like, I can't do those. I'm, like, not doing those. But the things that I don't want to do, he says, those are the things that, like, I end up doing. And to sanctify us, because God is so gracious and he's so good to us, he gives us prayer. He gives us prayer as a way for us to be refined. And I don't know if anyone in here knows how gold is refined, but I, like, recently stumbled upon how gold is, you know, it's like one of those weird things, you like click here and you click there and you're like, oh, this is how gold is refined, sweet, I'm just going to read this real quick, instead of doing what I'm supposed to do right now, and so like I recently like kind of like learned how gold is refined, and my assumption was that you take this like chunk of things that is gold and not gold, you like put it in something and it like melts, and then you get gold, right? So, like, you put it in there, you, like, walk away, people are like, what? No, obviously. Well, I didn't know that, right? So, you just, like, put it in, you get it, it's like, oh, sweet, we got gold now, that's awesome. That's, like, not, if, if you're like me, you're like, that's not how it actually works. So, the way, like, gold is refined, it's actually, like, a long process. Like, it takes a lot of work, right? Like, you do take some sort of, like, chunk, I'm, like, not using very scientific words, but you, you take a chunk of something that has gold in it, you, like, put it in this boiling thing, and then you get something that it's almost like part of it is gold, right? You may get, may get like 60% gold, and you're like, awesome. And then you got to like do that again, right? And you do it again, and you take it out. And now you might have like 65% gold. And you essentially just like have to continue to do that until you really get like the purest form of what gold is. And that's exactly what prayer is meant to do in our hearts, Right? It, it takes our hearts, those, those like really hard, almost like metally parts of our heart that want to resist God's love, that want to resist, resist God's truth and, and God's direction for us. And it takes that and it puts it into this fire of God's love and God's truth. 
and it begins to refine it, and it begins to change it, and it begins to purify it, and it begins to remove those hard parts. But just like gold, it has to be done again and again and again and again, right? It's like you don't just like shout out one prayer and you walk away, you're like, awesome, done. No, right? It takes time of doing it again and again and again. And so we're invited, we're invited to pray so that God may from like the inside out begin to change us and conform us to his kingdom and his will. And so today's petitions in the Lord's Prayer invite us into that, I think maybe more than any other petition in this prayer. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 9 through 13. And here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so today we're going to be going through uh, verse 10, which are the second and the third petition, which say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And this idea of, like, your kingdom come, like, Kingdom is not this like paradigm, this like word that we often like talk about or how we like view or interact with, right? Like unless like you're watching this like really old movie or like reading like an old novel, like kingdom isn't like our everyday vocabulary that we use. And so I think before we understand what it means to ask for God's kingdom to come, we we have to understand what, what is God's kingdom? Like what would we be asking for if we pray, God, your kingdom come? And so what is God's kingdom? And broadly defined, God's kingdom is the rule and reign of God over his people and his creation, right? It is a place where God and his people and creation dwell together. And we saw this dwelling right at the beginning of time when God created a world filled with his creation and his people, and he called it good. And in this, we saw flourishing happening, right? Like we saw flourishing between humans and God, We saw flourishing between humans and one another, and we saw flourishing between humans and creation. Yet in this place of flourishing, right, Adam and Eve, the first two humans who are created, they chose to reject the rule and reign of God, and they chose to act for their kingdom, right, and their will. And and this rejection of God's kingdom, this rejection of, of God's reign and rule, this is what we call sin. That's another word that we use for that, right, sin. And what sin did, it gave us over to our kingdom, to our will, but that brought about brokenness to our relationship with the world, to our relationship with one another, and ultimately and most tragically, it brought brokenness to our relationship with God. The the very person that we were meant to be with, we became separated from. But God's kingdom was not to be overcome despite our failures. Right? God gave us a promise that even as soon after Adam and Eve reject God's kingdom, reject his rule, reject his reign, God gives them hope. God gives us hope. And he, and he promised, and you continue to see these little shadows all throughout the Old Testament that one day, hope wasn't lost, but that one day there was going to be a king, and he was going to come back. And he was going to restore what was lost. 
He was going to restore what was broken at that time. And about 2,000 years later, right, I'm sorry, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes into our world to restore the kingdom of God. Right, that's when Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist exclaims, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Later on, Jesus asked in Luke 17, saying, people ask him, so, so when is the kingdom of God coming back? Like, when is it returning? When, when are these things going to be restored? Is it, and his answer to them is the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He was saying, it's here right now because I'm here right now. Like, I'm that king who was going to come and restore the kingdom of God. But how? Like, how would Jesus restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden? How could God, a perfect and holy God, dwell again with sinful, broken mankind? Like, how could God and his people be reunited again? Well, the very thing that had brought that separation, that had to be removed and defeated. If not, man and God could not dwell again. If not, what was broken could not be restored. That enemy had to be defeated. And so how does Jesus do that? How, how is Jesus going to defeat sin in our rejection of the kingdom of God? You know, and, and this is why when Jesus comes into the picture, it's not what people were expecting, right? This idea of, like, the kingdom returning, it was this image of, like, oh, yeah, there's these people that are oppressing us. There's these, there's these external things, these circumstances. Like, that's what's stopping us from really obeying and, and going under the rule of God's kingdom. If Jesus, just removed, if Jesus just removed that, we'd be good. But God knew, no, 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 like, actually the real problem is deeper than that. The, the, the real solution wasn't about taking up a sword and let's, like, let's go and fight. That's what people were ready for. They're like, all right, Jesus, like, the kingdom is here. At what point do we bring our swords and meet up? Like, where do we meet up? Like, where do we go? He's like, no, like, that's not how the kingdom is going to be restored. It's not going to be by force. And it's not actually by removing your external circumstances, these enemies. It's, it's not about that. Because if, if, if the kingdom was to be restored by just removing these bad people, if he did that, the bad people that could not perfectly obey God and submit to his kingdom, it would have actually included all of them who were asking for that to come. Right? It would actually include all of us who cannot perfectly obey God's calling in our lives. So instead, what Jesus does to restore the kingdom of God is that he perfectly obeys God. He submits to God's kingdom. He submits to God's will. He fails to do, he, he, he does what we fail to do, right? We could not submit to God's kingdom. We rejected it, so, but so Jesus does it. And then he pays the price for our sin. Right? There, there, was, there, there was no just simply erasing and forgetting what we had done to break this, to, to break this relationship. And so what Jesus does is he says, I'm going to pay for that, for your sin. I'm going to pay for the penalty for what you have done. And then he defeats the power of sin and death through his resurrection. Right? The enemy that you and I could never defeat, he defeats it through his resurrection. And in doing this, Jesus inaugurated the restoration of the kingdom of God. He frees anyone 
who is willing to come into his kingdom. So, so what happens when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? I think there's two things that happen for us when we do that. The first one is when we pray, your kingdom come, it leads us to renounce our own kingdom. As many of you might know, um, man, there's a team of us that's, that's moving to Osaka, Japan next year. And so in that process, we've just been learning, starting to learn Japanese, starting to learn about Japanese culture, and just learning about the history of Japan. And one of the things that I learned recently was that Christianity, people believe Christianity got to Japan around the 1500s. And as, as Christianity arrives in Japan, it just begins to explode and grow a ton. People just start believing left and right in Japan. Yet at the same time, kind of as, as, as Christianity is growing there, during this time, Japan wasn't united as like one nation ruled under one person. It was really divided. So it's like depends what region you lived at. There's a different like lord or ruler over that region. And so at the same time as like Christianity is growing, there's one of these guys, one of these lords, one of these rulers that takes over all of Japan, right? So he, he makes it his own kingdom. There's one ruler now over all of Japan. And as he begins to rule and to like unite, unite Japan for his kingdom, he begins to see this, this growth of Christianity, that, that these people as the biggest threat to his kingdom. He begins to see that if these people are committed to, to the kingdom of God, they're not going to be committed to my kingdom and my rules and my ways. And so what he begins to do is he begins to execute and kill Christians. Right? He begins to make this public displays of crucifying Christians to try to lead people to renounce God's kingdom so they could follow his kingdom. And one of the practices that he implemented during this time was, it was called fumie. So you can pull up that picture. And so what he did is he, he made this plate that had Jesus' face or a marking of Jesus on it. And anyone who was suspected to be a Christian, they were brought out to a public place this, this fumia, this plate was placed on the ground, and they were forced to step on Jesus' face or step on this marking of Jesus. And the reason he did that was that he wanted them to publicly declare and display that they were renouncing the kingdom of God in order to follow his kingdom. And see, I, I think he actually understood something really powerful about the kingdom of God that we can easily miss. And that is that to be part of the kingdom of God, it requires complete allegiance. You can't be fully committed to two things, right? He didn't realize that that's why he feared the kingdom of God. He said, if people are committed to the kingdom of God, they can't also be committed to my kingdom. They'll bow down to King Jesus before they bow down to me. If we are to be a part of God's kingdom, we can't also have our own kingdom, our own rule, our own reign. And, I, and, and this is, this, I don't think this is God's invitation for us to like make a plaque with like our face on it and like step on it every morning as we're like brushing our teeth. That would be like a really powerful like imagery to remember to like renounce our own kingdom. But the invitation for us, you know, it's powerful in that we have to, y'all, we have to renounce our kingdom, our rule, our reign in order to receive God's. There is no other way. It's the only way, right? And th that's why Jesus would say, if anyone wants to follow me, 
if anyone wants to gain life, what must they do? Lose it. He says, if anybody wants to follow me, if anyone wants to gain life, you got to lose your life. Right? That's what Paul would say. Everything I once had, everything I once knew, I counted as loss. It's garbage for the sake of Christ. I can't have both. I don't want both. To gain this, I've got to give up this. I've got to give up my life, my rule. Me as king has to die if Jesus is to be king in my life. The second thing that happens when we, when we pray, your kingdom come, is that it leads us to enlist ourselves as ambassadors of his kingdom. When we pray that, it begins to join us into the mission of the kingdom of God. John Calvin said that the job of God's people is to make the invisible kingdom visible by our words and deeds. I'm going to read that again. He said that the job of God's people is to make the invisible kingdom visible by our words and deeds. Y'all, salvation is way more than just getting to heaven when you die. Like, if that's your view of what salvation and relationship with Jesus is, you're missing so much of it. So much of it. We are made into a new people, and we become a part of his kingdom. Like, it's not just this, like, spiritual thing that we do, but it's something that's meant to change our lives and change the lives of the people around us. That's why it's a kingdom. It's not this, like, individual thing that we do that we believe, and I like my faith, my life, and I just go down this. It's a kingdom. That's why we meet together here. That's why we meet together on Sundays that's why there's like no lone rangers in the Bible just like going out doing their own thing. It's a kingdom that's united under one king for one mission. It's an invitation to join that kingdom. Right? Do you remember Jesus' last words, one of his last words to his disciples? It's known as the Great Commission. I'm going to tell you what it, what, what it wasn't. His last words to them, his last charge to them wasn't like, Awesome, I'm so glad you picked up that get out of hell card. Not just like sit back, catch up to you in heaven, like do your thing, see you guys later. Like that's not his last words to them. Do you remember what, that, what he did say to them? What his invitation to them was as they joined his kingdom? He said, go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaching them all the things that, that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. It was a charge, right? His invitation was a charge. He said, I'm so glad that you're part of my kingdom now. Let's go. Let's come with me. This is where we're going. We're not staying. We're going. We're going out because we're going to bring this kingdom into all the places that it's not. That's what it's about. It's about bringing the kingdom to all the places that it, where it is not at. Right? That's what Paul would later say. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. It was to bring the kingdom where it isn't. That's our invitation. If you're a Christian in this room, that's your invitation. Join. Don't sit on the sidelines. There are no sideline Christians. Join the kingdom. Don't miss out. It's the most joyful, the most thrilling, and maybe the scariest thing you can do. But it's literally what you were meant to do. 
I promise you, you will live a very disappointed life when you get to the end of your life and you don't join the action of the kingdom of God. You just will, because you were literally created to do that. You were created to find purpose in joining and bringing the kingdom of God where it isn't. And whether that's the person across the hall from you, whether that's your roommate, or that's someone across the world from you, join it. J.D. Greer once said that, he's he's a pastor in North Carolina, he said, he once said that we aren't meant to be a luxury cruise ship just like sailing away into eternity. Like joining the kingdom of God isn't this place where we're just like on this luxury cruise where we just like relax and sit back and like just float into eternity. Like when he said that, have you guys ever seen Wally? Great movie, super underrated. That's literally what I thought of. And it's like, it's easy for us to think of our Christian lives like that. We're like, sweet, we're like on the Jesus cruise now. So like we know where this is heading. So we could just like sit back and relax and like Jesus is just going to cater everything to us. Like no hard things should come to us because like we're on the Jesus cruise Jesus is like, no, it's a kingdom. (laughs) It's not a cruise. It's a kingdom that goes out into battle, right? It's it's more meant to be, J.D. Greer would say, it's meant to be this like aircraft, this like carrier that brings you out into the battle to help and restore people and bring them into the kingdom. That's the image we need to see. Not a Jesus cruise, but like a Jesus space war healing ship. I know there's a word that covers all of that, but th- th- that's the image, right? Not the cruise ship, but a mixture of like healing, restoration, and battle, whatever, whatever type of ship that would be. And guys, when we pray, your kingdom comes, it takes our hearts, right? The idea of, of, of the, those hard part of our hearts that don't want to do that, that, that much rather be part of a Jesus cruise. It takes those places, those parts of our hearts, and it begins, it begins to shape them in that fire of his truth and his love to renounce our kingdom and to join the, word, the work of bringing his kingdom out. Jesus also tells us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is God's will? Like who hasn't asked that question before? You know what I'm saying? Like I, I've asked that, I mean, I, a million times probably, and I, and I still do. It sometimes I'm like, what is God's will for my life? What does God's want me to do? I don't want to be outside of God's will. What if this isn't God's will for my life? Like how many times do we think or say that in our lives, right? And, and biblically speaking, God's will is spoken of in two ways. There's what theologians call the, the revealed will of God, and there's also what's known as the hidden will of God. And, and you see this really all throughout the Bible, these being like played out or like lived out lived out, but one of the most clearest places that, that this is kind of described is in Deuteronomy 29, 29, if you could pull that up, and here's what that says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law, so th- those things that are revealed, that's what theologians mean when they talk about the revealed will of God. Right? God has revealed his will for our lives by giving us his commandments. Right? And some of those are like super clear, like don't murder, don't lie, love your neighbor as yourself, like pray, share the gospel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Like you don't have to wait for this like vision, for this like sign in the sky, whether you should like love your neighbor, whether you should like love your roommate, whether you should forgive someone. Like if you're sitting around waiting for a sign from God, whether you should forgive someone, don't. Like he said it already, right? That's the idea of the revealed will of God, like we don't wait for those things. We, like, flip the pages and we're like, yep, there it is. Like, he's already said it. I, wanna, I ought to, like, live those things out. But 
But if that's the revealed will of, will of God, what is the hidden will of God? I think th- this is the one that we have ch- challenges with. This is the one that's hard for us, right? And the, the hidden will of God is the work of God that he does not reveal to us. But instead, he invites us to simply act upon his revealed will and trust him in his hidden will. And this is the will, the hidden will of God is the one that we usually want to know, right? And we spend days and weeks and months and years trying to discover what is the hidden will of God. And trying to figure out the hidden will of God, you know what kind of life it leads us to live? A passive one, waiting around for something that we aren't supposed to know? It leads us to be perfectionist in decision-making, right? Trying to figure out what's, what's the perfect choice I need to make here. I need to make sure I figure out what exactly it is that God wants in this situation. Or it leads us to become paralyzed, right? Fearing that we're going to make the wrong choice and everything is going to fall apart. And I feel you. Like, that's, it's hard. There are things in our lives that we have to choose. And I, I'm with you. I, like, it would be so much easier if God just, like, told us exactly what he wanted us to do at every single moment, at every single decision in our life. It would be so much easier, but we would know him so much less. Like, and I, I, f- I felt this in my personal life with big decisions, right? When, when Erica, right before Erica and I started dating, we, like, knew each other for a year. We were friends. I had liked her for, like, a year and a half, like, and I've been trying to pursue her, and it was finally time, and I'm, like, panicked, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh, but what if this isn't the right person, like, what, what, what if I'm, like, outside of God's will, you know? And I just, thankfully, I had, like, a good friend alongside of me, and it was like, well, like, let's, let's think through this. I was like, all right, all right. I'm just, like, panicking, you know? And he's like, all right, like, well, does she love Jesus? I'm like, yeah, obviously. I've seen her love Jesus for over a year. It's like, okay, so check. So he's like, okay, like, have you seek counsel in this? Does people around you see, see this in you guys? We're like, yeah, we've been talking about this for, like, a year with people, and they see that in her. They see it in me. There's, okay. Are you guys, like, on the same path? Like, do you guys are pursuing the same mission? We're like, yeah, like, we both live in China. Like, we're doing the same thing. He's like, okay. He's like, well, what else are you waiting for? I was like, I don't know, did God to tell me to do this? Like, he's like, has he ever done that before? I'm like, I don't think so. But it'd be cool if he did it right now because this is, like, a big decision. Like, so he was like, dude, in his revealed will, the encouragement was, like, you're following the revealed will. You're trying to figure out something you're, you're not meant to figure it out. And it was, it was an, this encouragement of just act. Act and trust God. My fear was honestly, it's like, dude, I, do I trust God that he's good enough to take care of me as like I step out into his hidden will? Do I believe he's good enough to take care of me if I do that? Our calling is to obey in what God has already revealed and just to trust that he's good in the hidden will. Like, we're not called to be detectives. Detectives try to figure out, right? It's not, for, it's, not, it's not our job to be detectives and try to figure out, okay, what's God going to do? What are the steps he's going to get me there? Like, I need to figure out when and where. How is he going to do this? That's not our job. Our job is to be historians, to look back and to see what has God said. And not only what he has said, but look back and see how has God worked every single time for your glory and his good. And to find comfort and trust and say, God has taken care of me up to this point. Why would he stop doing that now? 
And the Bible is filled with the promises that God is for us, that he's not against us. That if he gave us his son, how will he not give us everything else that we need? Man, he's a good God. And this is why he asks us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that this prayer, again, can begin to melt that hard heart, that untrusting heart of ours. And the main way praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven does that is that, it, again, it leads us to renounce our will. You can't receive God's will without letting go of your own. They're just going to compete. You can't have two masters. You can't be a master. You'd be like, Jesus, I'll take Monday through Wednesday. You take Thursday through. That's not how he works. He's like, nope, it's not how it goes. Right? It's 100% or 0%. And you're just going to live a really frustrated and debilitating life if you're trying to take back, if you're not just renouncing your will. And it's easy to say, right, like, God, your will be done when it matches with our will, right? It feels like we're, like, living this out when those two, like, overlap. It's, like, awesome. Nothing wrong with that. It's, like, not you should wish for, like, pain and suffering in your life. But there's going to be a lot of times in your life when your will and God's will are not going to overlap. They won't overlap. And it's in those moments when it is so hard to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Because what we're doing when we do that is we're just, we are handing over our lives into God's hands and saying, do what you want with me, God. Your will be done. Like, just do what you want with me. Even in the things I don't understand, even when in the things that I don't actually feel like I want to do or are good for me, when we say your will be done, we're saying, God, do what you want. John Wesley, he was one of the leaders of the revival movement in England in the 1700s, and he, he said this like this. He said, I, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. In, that, that, in the first part of each of those, right, God, put me to what you want. Let me be employed. Let me be full. Let me have all things. Those are the ones who are like, yeah, your will be done. Like, I want that. Amen. Right? But in the other ones, put me to suffering. Lay me aside for thee. Bring me low for thee. Let me be empty. Let me have nothing. And those are the ones. Those are the ones where it's hard to say your will be done. God, your will be done. When we're able to say that, your will be done, when we're able to surrender and trust God and say, do what you want with me, regardless what I know or don't know, what I want or don't want, God, do it. I think most of us believe that, like, under the right circumstances, we could say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think we feel like, okay, there's just like these specific things in my life. Like that most of my life, 
I'm good. Like, your kingdom come, your will be done. But there's, like, these specific things in my life that, like, they're just, like, really hard to let go of. They're really hard to release, to surrender. Like, if those were, like, removed, if I didn't have those, those, those challenging situations, things, desires, if those were gone, I think we feel that we could 100% honestly say, oh, yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just, if I just had the right circumstance, I could honestly say that. But I want you to think about this. Think back to the Garden of Eden. You have Adam and Eve in paradise. Everything they needed was theirs. Everything and more was all theirs. And in paradise, under the perfect and right circumstances, do you remember what they said to God under those circumstances? They said, My, our will, not yours, be done, God. Our will, not yours, be done, God. Yet many years later, in a different garden, not, not one of paradise, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have Jesus in a place of suffering as bloody sweat drips down his face and the fear and the pain of the anguish that is to come under those circumstances. Do you remember what he said to God? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. See, it isn't about having the right circumstances, but about having a heart that constantly surrenders to God's will. It's us praying this again and again and again and again. It's about putting our hearts into the fire of God's love and truth that shapes us into the kind of people who ask, your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, God, not mine. Guys, my, my question for you tonight is, it's, what's God inviting you into tonight? Like, are there places in your life where it's just really hard for you to say, like, if you were honest, it's really hard for you to say, yeah, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Are there things that you just honestly feel like, no, I, I can't let go of this. I can't renounce my kingdom. I can't renounce my will. Is it hard to trust and believe that in the things that you don't know, that God is good enough, that God loves you enough, that he's gonna take care of you, no matter what you choose, that he's for you? Is it hard to believe that, honestly? And maybe you've never renounced your own kingdom, your own will. Maybe you've done the church thing, or maybe it's your first time here, but maybe you've never actually said, yeah, God, actually, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask God tonight, God, are there places where I'm not letting go of my kingdom? Are there places in my life where I'm not letting go of my will?
and pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And see, just wait and see as you do that again and again and again and again. The fire of God's truth and love just begins to shape you and purify you. Let's pray. Lord, your kingdom come, not ours. God, your will be done, not ours, on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us experience the power of prayer, how it refines and shapes us every single time we do it. God, help us join your kingdom. Help us not sit on the sidelines but help us be on the front lines of your kingdom. God, help us renounce our kingdom and our will so that we don't miss out, so that we can receive a greater kingdom and a greater will in our lives. Amen.